So we're in this uh, sermon series called Perspective. We're looking at uh, Jesus and the cross of Jesus through the perspective of uh, different uh, characters in the story, different people who were there with him uh, and, and how they uh, viewed the cross, what their perspective was on the cross. And today we come to the disciple John. I would have to say that out of all 12 disciples, John is probably my favorite. You all have a favorite disciple, right? Right? Uh, Peter, like Peter, uh, Matthew. Is there a team Bartholomew in the house? <laughs> uh, I'm team John. What's more though, I, that I, I think that out of the 12 disciples, John was probably Jesus's favorite. I, I think he was Jesus's favorite. Oh, you don't think Jesus had a favorite? <laughs> Every teacher has certain favorite students, some kids that you can't help but be drawn to, others that you say, oh, no, not that one. <laughs> Most children are convinced that their parents have a favorite. Oftentimes, the children argue about who is the favorite. Sometimes it's obvious. After someone dies, I, I often gather, I gather together the adult children to talk about the, their parent who died as I'm preparing the funeral. And it's not uncommon when I gather those siblings together for them all to say, yeah, he was the favorite. Laura and I always say that our favorite is whichever one will take care of us in our old age, which means that we don't have any favorites because they all tell us we're on our own. Whether John was Jesus' favorite or not, they definitely had a special relationship. Whenever Jesus took a, a smaller group of disciples aside into his inner circle, it was always the same three, Peter, James, and John. And they were usually named in that order, too, Peter, James, and John, which might lead you to believe that Peter was the favorite and John was third in line, but it might just mean that John was the youngest of the three, and if John was the baby, well, <laughs> any babies of the family here? Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that John saw himself as the favorites. Each of the four Gospels names the 12 disciples, but in the Gospel of John, the one that's written by the John that we're talking about today, anytime he writes about the other 11 disciples, he calls them by name, but not himself. John never calls himself John. You know what John calls himself in his version of the gospel? The one whom Jesus loved. John called himself the one whom Jesus loved. Imagine that you are one of 12 grandchildren, and you are charged with writing your grandmother's obituary. And in that obituary, you write that she is survived by her 12 grandchildren, and then you proceed to name the other 11 grandchildren. And at the end of the list, instead of writing your own name, you write, and the one that grandma loved. <laughs> How's that going to go over? The scripture I want to start off with today it's not from John's gospel. We'll get to some verses from John in a bit. But first, I want us to look at a passage from Mark. This is Mark 10, starting at verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him, to Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, every parent knows, every teacher knows, every leader knows that you do not respond to that kind of request by saying, Sure, 
Name it, whatever you want. Jesus isn't going to fall for that either. Verse 36, what is it that you want me to do for you? Verse 37, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now, which one of them wanted to be on the right? Which one of them wanted to be on the left? They didn't get into that. Apparently, they weren't so much concerned about which one of them was favored over the other, just that the two of them were favored over all the rest. That was the significance of this request. They wanted everyone to know that they were the favorites, that they were closest to Jesus. When a king took his position on the throne, the person seated immediately to his right was his closest, most dearly loved, most trusted, next in line. And the person to his left was the next after that. As far as the positioning goes, it's still the same today when you watch the, the president addressing Congress. Just behind his right hand is the vice president. Just behind his left hand is the speaker of the house, the third in line. It's a very clear, visible sign to everyone of the pecking order. Allow us to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left. When James and John say, in your glory, what they meant was, when you are seated on your throne. They were still convinced at that time that Jesus was the earthly Messiah, that he would defeat the Romans, he would do away with all the unfaithful Jews, he would take his place on the Jerusalem throne. And when he did that, James and John wanted to be right there, next to him. They wanted everyone to know, they, they wanted it to be illustrated clear as day by their positions to the right and left of Jesus that they were the second and third in command, that they were his favorites. I start with that story, and as we look this week at the person of John and his perspective on the cross, because that story shows what a long way John had come by the time we get to the end of the gospel. When we come to the cross, we'll find that John's perspective has entirely changed. In this story from Mark, he was interested in position. He was looking for power. What mattered to him most at that time was to be recognized as great. And Jesus didn't tell him that was wrong. Jesus did not tell John not to strive for greatness. What Jesus did instead was redefine what greatness is. What is it that qualifies one to take that position of authority? It isn't standing up there or sitting up there next to the throne so that everyone will bow down to you and serve you. That's not what makes one great. Rather, greatness, according to God's ways, is the other way around. Mark 10, 41 to 45, when the 10 heard of it, that is when, when the 10 disciples heard that James and John were asking for the positions of honor next to Jesus, when the 10 heard of it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't want to be great. What he says is basically, you want to be great? That's wonderful. Here's how you do it. Serve others. He doesn't say wanting to be first is a bad thing. You you should renounce that desire entirely and wallow in repentance. No. What he tells them is, if you want to be first in the kingdom, then you need to become a servant to everybody. Everybody. Now, if you think about that for even a moment, you realize what that means. That means that nobody, and I mean nobody, is ever going to be ahead of Jesus in the kingdom. Nobody could ever be ahead of Jesus in the kingdom. Uh, Aside from him being the son of God, which he is the son of God, so there's that. But, But even aside from that, there's no way that any human could ever serve everybody, all of humankind, to the perfect extent that Jesus did. Jesus was servant to all when he gave his very life as he puts it, as a ransom for many, to buy back everyone who would ever receive that gift of salvation offered in his sacrifice on the cross. No one else could ever come close to matching that kind of service. If serving others, sacrificing for others, if that is the measure of greatness, then no one is ever going to come close to being as great as Jesus. No other prophet, no other teacher, no other healer, no one. Jesus will always be first. And how did he get to be first? Did he do it by grasping on to power? No. By emptying himself. By making himself nothing. By humbling himself so that God could lift him up to that place of glory. Philippians 2 6 through 11 says this about Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was equal to God, but he did not consider that something to be grasped at, held on to. He didn't flaunt it. He didn't say, ha ha, look at me, I'm in charge. Bow down and worship me and serve me. That's what James and John wanted to do. That's why they wanted to have those positions of honor to his right and his left so that they could say, ha ha, look at us. We're most important. We have the power. You have to serve us. You have to do what we command. That's what we all want on some level, if we're being honest. We want other people to see how special we are. We want to be the person that others have to show deference to and respect our authority. Who hasn't at some point heard someone who wasn't getting the deferential treatment they thought they deserved say out loud, do you know who I am? 
don't you know who I am? In other words, don't you realize you're supposed to be serving me? I may have said it once or twice myself. I'm ashamed to say that, but it's true. When we're in a, a position over others, we want them to acknowledge our greatness and act accordingly. And yet Jesus, Jesus, who was God, Jesus, who had every right to claim that power and authority because it was his from before the world was made, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's one of the temptations we all face. It was a temptation that Jesus faced. Just before beginning his public ministry, Jesus went into the desert to fast for 40 days and be tempted by the devil. And one of the temptations that he faced was Satan showing him all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this authority and their glory if you will worship me. It will all be yours. Jesus resisted that temptation saying, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Jesus would be given all the kingdoms of the world, all of that authority and the glory that comes with it, all of it would be his. But first, first he had to be obedient to God. First he had to humble himself to the point of death. First he had to give his life as a ransom for many. First, he had to make himself last of all and serve all. By doing that, by being obedient to the point of death on the cross, by becoming a servant of all that is how Jesus became first. That is why he was exalted over all. Therefore, God highly exalted him. Therefore, Meaning, only because he made a sacrifice to all, only because he was servant to all, only because he was obedient to the point of death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. It is only because of the cross that God has bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It is only because of the cross that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some people want the glory without the cross. It just doesn't work like that. That passage from Philippians 2, the, the part that I read already began in the middle of a sentence. The beginning of that sentence is in the verse right before that. Here it is from Philippians 2, 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Other translations say, have the same mind in you, 
that you have in Christ Jesus. He then goes on to say how Jesus was in the form of God, but emptied himself, taking the form of man, became obedient to the point of death on the cross, and then he was highly exalted because of that obedience and service to mankind. Have the same mind in you is the point of that passage. Have the same mind. Have that same attitude. Have that same faithfulness. Have that same willingness to sacrifice for others. Have that same obedience to serve others. Find your greatness by surrendering your privilege and becoming a servant to all. I want to go back to Mark 10. There were a few verses that I left out earlier. You heard about James and John's request and what Jesus said when the others found out about it. But before the others found out about it, here's what Jesus said directly to the two brothers. Mark 10, 38 to 40. You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with a baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. The last part of that, to, to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. What Jesus meant is those places of honor in the kingdom of God, those are not positions to just be handed out based on who Jesus picks, who Jesus likes most. It's not like being the teacher's pet or mommy's favorite. Jesus isn't a politician who needs to shore up votes by picking the right running mate. Positions of honor in the kingdom of God are based on faithfulness and obedience. Those who are faithful with what they've been given in this life, will be put in charge of much in the kingdom. And faithfulness in this life, faithfulness in this life is seen most clearly in service to others. Obedience in this world is seen most clearly in being like Jesus, following Jesus, following Jesus all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross. That brings me to why John is my favorite disciple. And I think it's why he might have been Jesus' favorite as well. Because John was the only one of the 12 disciples who was with Jesus at the cross. John 19, 25 to 27 but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, remember the disciple he loved was John, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. John was the only disciple that was there. John was the only disciple who stayed with Jesus all the way to the cross. The closest that any of the others got was the courtyard. 
You remember the story of Peter in the courtyard when he denied knowing Jesus. That was as close as Peter would get to the cross. After denying Christ and realizing what he had done, Peter disappeared from the scene. All of the other disciples had already disappeared, but not John. John, he was there in the courtyard with Peter. In John 18, he indicates that he's the one who brought Peter into the courtyard. But John wasn't cowering and denying Jesus like Peter was. He was watching and praying. Oh, he had fallen asleep in the garden earlier that night, just like all the rest. But now, now he was giving Jesus his full attention. He was staying near Jesus every step of the way. And when Jesus looked down from the cross, his blood pouring out, his life slipping away, there was John. Why? Why did John stay with Jesus when all the others fled and hid? I think it's because John was starting to understand what Jesus had been trying to teach them all along, that greatness is found in sacrifice. That the first of all is the one who is servant of all. What John saw when he looked up at Jesus hanging there on the cross, he saw the king, the king of all humankind, the greatest of all, the first and the last. Earlier, John had asked for a place at Jesus' side when he came into his glory. Now, on the cross, Christ was entering into his glory. Where else could John be then than right there with Jesus? Several decades later, John would write his perspective of the story of Jesus, the Gospel of John. When you read through the Gospel of John, he makes it clear that Jesus wasn't glorified just in his resurrection and ascension. In the Gospel of John, it is first and foremost on the cross that Christ glory is revealed. Perhaps it took someone who was actually there at the cross to see it to gain that perspective. Several times in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about being lifted up. Now normally when we hear Jesus talk about being lifted up or raised up, we naturally think of the resurrection. But in the Gospel of John, whenever Jesus talks about being lifted up, he means lifted up on the cross. John 3, 14 to 15 says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That bit about Moses and the serpent, that refers to a story from Numbers 21 when the Hebrew people were complaining against God and against Moses, so the Lord sent poisonous serpents to bite them. And then the people came to Moses. They repented of what they had done. So the Lord told Moses to lift up a bronze serpent on a pole. And everyone who looked at that bronze serpent lifted up on the pole would be healed of their poisonous bites and live. Jesus uses the serpent lifted up by Moses as an analogy for himself being lifted up on the cross. All of us are bound for death 
just as surely as someone bitten by a poisonous serpent. But all we need to do is look at Jesus lifted up on the cross. When we truly see that, when we know in our hearts that he did that for us, we live. The poison of sin is washed away. In John 8, 28, Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. The Greek words there for I am, ego emi, I'm sure I pronounced that wrong, but ego emi in Greek, it's the Greek translation for the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the traditional name for God. When Jesus says, then you will know that I am, what he means is, then you will know that I am divine. Then you will know that I am God. And this revelation, according to Jesus, it doesn't happen in the resurrection. It happens in the crucifixion. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you have lifted up. He, he's speaking to his enemies in that passage. He, he's talking to people that wanted to kill him. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you, my enemies, those who want to kill me, when you have lifted me up on the cross, that is when my glory will be revealed. Once more in John 12, 32 to 33, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now, if John had stopped with the words of Jesus, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself, it would be easy to assume he's talking about the ascension. That, that when people saw him ascend into heaven, they would bow down and worship. But then John adds his own comment in verse 33. He said this to indicate by what kind of death he was going to die. You see, John understood that when Jesus talked about being lifted up, he was referring to the cross. John saw what none of the other disciples saw, that Jesus' glory was revealed even before the resurrection. John saw that Jesus was glorified on the cross because it is there on the cross that he made the perfect sacrifice. And that is what defines greatness. It is there on the cross that he became a servant of all mankind, and only because of that did he become the head of all mankind. When Jesus was praying at the Last Supper, the prayer recorded in John chapter 17, he said this to God, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus glorified God through his perfect obedience, through the perfect sacrifice he made by humbling himself and becoming the, the perfect servant of all. Jesus glorified God. And then in the next verse, he prays this. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus glorified God through his sacrificial obedience, and in return, God glorified Jesus, returning him to the place that was rightfully his from the beginning. But first, first he had to humble himself. 
First, he had to become last of all and servant to all. First, he had to empty himself and become nothing. John 19, verse 30 says, When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. On the cross, Jesus had accomplished all that God had sent him to accomplish. On the cross, Jesus had done all that needed to be done for our salvation. On the cross, Jesus had finished the work. He had finished all the work necessary to bring us back to God. John was the only one of the disciples who was there to see it. John stood there with Jesus' mother, with the other women at the foot of the cross as they watched Jesus die. And because he watched it happen with his own eyes, because he heard the words of Jesus from the cross with his own ears, John had a perspective on the cross that none of the other disciples could ever have. In a sense, that gives him an exalted place over all the other disciples, which is exactly what he was asking for at the beginning, right? When Jesus tells Mary, this is your son, when he tells John, this is your mother, Jesus is basically saying to John, you and I are now brothers. John, in that moment, was more a brother of Jesus than Jesus' literal brothers. In that moment, John became the first person to be considered a brother of Christ on the basis of faith. John was given that position of honor right next to Jesus in glory, just as he had wanted all along. But just as Jesus had predicted, it wasn't a place that was just handed to him because he was the favorite. He had to humble himself. He had to become a servant. He had to be willing to sacrifice. He had to go all the way the cross. We too are invited to go to the cross with Jesus, to give up our places, our positions of honor, our privileges in this world. That doesn't mean resigning from our jobs or, or stepping down from positions of authority. It means doing whatever we do, not for the sake of making others serve us, but doing what we do for God's sake, doing what we do for the good of the kingdom, in service to others. It means not saying, don't you know who I am? But saying instead, what can I do for you? How can I serve you in the name of Jesus, the Christ who gave his life for me? That's how we become great. That's how we take our place in the kingdom. That's how we get to sit next to Jesus. Amen?
Amen.